If nobody turned that one steer the four times you ran that night, you didn't get a turn in. You just didn't get to row. <laughs> Who in the heck loans you $30,000 to go rodeo? What are you talking about? We get done. We're like, this sucks. We're still going to do it. I, I can't stand it. So I just go up to him and I, I am like, is there something wrong with your brain? So we're officially hey, going. Unoffendable. You know, yeah, that that is our that really is our man. The name of the podcast is the Flatbed Podcast, and the reason it's for that is the Flatbed is like <laughs> so. As always, what is and has always been, this episode is brought to you by Equinity Products and Classic Ropes. You guys check them out. Bill Myers, the long-awaited episode. <laughs> I've been I've this has been on my radar probably since the podcast started. Is that there were names that I knew that I was familiar with the names, but I didn't know the people. And I'm going to tell you, your, your list, your name has been on that list. The BM brand on a horse has been on the, my radar for years. So thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. Um, when you, when you think Bill Myers, you obviously think of Frenchman's guy and everything. And you know, when you add hot colors and smooth guy and all the things that have come with that, but there was a bill before that. I mean, there was a Bill and Deb Myers before that reputation. Uh, where did you guys, where did you start? Well, I grew up in South Dakota. Uh, I was born in Fort Pier, so right there on the Missouri River. And then I grew up on a ranch 45 miles north of Fort Pier on the west side of the river. A uh, little post office there called Mission Ridge, which was <clears throat> where Casey Tibbs was from. Oh, really? Yeah. In my family, there was a lot of the Tibbses in that area that ranched and my family had a ranch there well it, the, the ranch was uh was where the cheyenne river run into the missouri is right, oh, wow. where, right where our ranch was good water yeah a lot of water uh real good grass country good ranch country i mean could be a little brutal at times as far as winters and well you, you started with south dakota so yeah. the, the, the assumption <laughs> is there's brutality yeah yeah it's part of the part of living there but great, uh, great ranch country, and I grew up with a ranch background. When people say they grew up ranching, here's what I know. There is a wide swath of what that could have meant. You know, instantly I think there are going to be people who visualize Yellowstone. Yeah. And then I know the reality is there are wooden panels for gates and chasing cattle, and, like, there are ways to do it terribly for you. I mean, early on, what do you remember of it as a kid? Well, when I was a little boy, I mean, I, I wanted to ride horseback from when I, I can't even remember, when, you know, when the earliest I rode horseback. And so I just, I was drawn to that. And thankfully, my family did, at that time especially, did their work horseback. I mean, we worked cattle out in the pasture. And, you know, of course, we brought them in once in a while. But it, our ranch was a real, you know, horse-oriented ranch. We'd, when we worked livestock, we got horseback. Do you think that's a, for, for people maybe that don't know, I know there's some always some debate on working cattle and, and personally, just with the horse background, I like what it does for horses to stay on them. But at the same time, when you see somebody doing it different without horses and it does seem to be running more efficiently and less work, where do you, where do you fall on that? Obviously, you're a horse person, but where do you fall on that scale? Do you, can, can you make an argument for doing it uh, on other vehicles? Well, I mean, I understand the modern, everybody's busy, and I think that's where the, the vehicles come in. They can think maybe at certain kind of things quicker when you, you know, when they do that. But it, to me, it's still not the efficient way. And, you know, you, you can't make good horses riding a four wheeler. So. 
So <laughs> that, that could be a bumper sticker. You can't make yeah. good horses ride your four-wheeler. No. So. so as a kid, I mean, traditionally a kid just gets thrown right into the workforce early. Um, there's a study that said that the, the number of children per family has always been higher in rural than urban because of that, because the more kids you have, the, I mean, this, is, this has been throughout history, um, you're going to have more kids because that helps everything that you're doing run more efficiently. And I know there are going to be parents in a suburban setting that would go, that's just abuse. That's not how a kid's supposed to be raised. But in reality, you get put into the work, whatever number of kids there are, you get put into the workforce pretty early. Um, do you, maybe this is a, a bizarre memory, but do you, do you remember the first time you had a job that you knew had consequences? You weren't just ponying alongside your mom and dad and being there. Do you remember how old you were when you started carrying actual consequence of your job? I remember when I was probably four years, five years old, driving cattle across the Cheyenne River. Mm-mm. Yeah. How deep is that? It, well, it was in the fall, and, the, and, it, the, and it, the Wahi Dam wasn't going there, so it was, it was not very real deep, but it was still deep enough that, you know, you could drown if you right. got in the wrong spots. There was holes in it, things like that. And you were four or five? As four or five years old, driving cattle across that Cheyenne River. What kind of horses did your ranch have that would allow for that? Well, they were they were real hardy horses, you know. They weren't as they didn't have pedigrees like we got today, but but they were just good, solid using horses. Most of them, you know, had good bone and and a lot of substance, and and you know was was just good use, using horses. They you know didn't have no pedigrees to speak of in them days, but they were just there's good good useful horses. And were you guys raising them to sell, or would you buy them, use them, and then get more? Uh, at that time, we didn't. My family didn't raise many horses. They just kind of buy them here and there. My uncle later on got some brood mares and, and raised a few horses, but mostly at that time, we just bought horses. Well, I, it's it's crazy because I think you, it's easy to assume that raising your own horses is the cheaper route because there's no purchase price. But you, of all people, would know. It's crazy how the expense is almost less just to buy one sometimes. Yeah, yeah, there are times where just going and buying, if you're just going to use them, just go buy the horses the cheapest way instead of investing years and risk and yep. all that goes into it. Yeah. Did he, when he bought his broodmares, was it something he enjoyed and kept going with, or did he have an eye-opening experience like most people do? Well, that was so long ago. That would have been in the probably in the 60s when he, when he got a few broodmares. And, you know, I don't even know the rhyme or reason behind how he got them or what he what what he where he even got them i don't even know uh but again they were just horses that would raise gildens for us to 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 cowboy on and to get our work done they didn't have fancy pedigrees you know we even had some paint mares things like that that they were just horses but they were but they were all he hit my uncle knew confirmation and mm-hmm. they was built to take a lot of they was built to take a lot of work they were they was tools basically for us i'm in the middle of a life transition i'm 41 years old and changing careers and it's not off the ground yet you know we're we're still kind of digging it out of the dirt and i think i've probably spent more time thinking about my future than i ever thought i would you know where does this go like i'm imagining my life at 65 70 you know if i if i am fortunate enough to live that long like what will my life look like and so for that, for that reason, I go back and I'm like, okay, at 41, you're going to start mapping that out from here forward. Did you, did you think that you were just going to be able to ranch forever there? I mean, growing up, how, how early did you start having thoughts of like, man, I got I to gotta kind of figure some stuff out? 
Yeah, actually right after I got out of high school, I went and worked, uh, worked for my uncle at that time at Andy's ranch. And, uh, but I'd seen my uncle and aunt struggle quite a bit financially through, through growing up through, through the years. And, and I loved the lifestyle, but I, the financial side of it didn't look good to me. Mm-hmm. And so I always liked riding horses. I'd, I'd started taking colts to break plumb back when I was like 14 and 15 years old while I, while I lived at the ranch. And I could see where you could generate some income there. I liked doing it. And I kind of decided a couple of years after high school, I got out of high school, that maybe I didn't want to be a, a ranch my whole life. I, I wanted to try to make a living in the horse business. Yeah. So right after I got out of high school, a couple of years. And so did you, we had this conversation before we started, like my goal in life would be to not ride outside horses, mm-hmm. to just have my own. And I don't want to own 50 horses. Like mm-hmm. I just want to have a set of horses that I'm able to ride and sell. Um, and that's really, in my opinion, that's really the only way you're going to make money in the horse business, unless you go full bore into the, you know, the whole operation as far as, you know, and then, and then you're depleting your input per horse every month by having so many, you're stretched so thin. Um, did you, did you think that you would ride outside horses when you say in the horse business originally, was it, I'll just train horses forever? Or did you have a plan on where you hoped it'd go? You know, it was kind of a process there. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't even know. You know, if I'd ride horses forever, or if I'd finally get on my own, where all I did was ride our own. But it was. It was just a. You know, it took years of. You know, the thing that about the riding the outside horses that was good for me is I. I did a lot of different disciplines throughout. You know, I I trained race horses for ten years. Really? Oh yeah. I'd, where? In South Dakota, Wyoming up in that country Montana. what's the ho- what's the horse racing culture like up I, I guess I'm I, I'm I guess I knew that they raced horses but it doesn't when you think South Dakota you don't think horse racing well they had a, they had like a fair circuit you know they had uh, you'd start at Fort Pier go to Aberdeen and then go on to Rapid City and then after Rapid City was over you could go to Casper Wyoming we we when when uh Shakopee opened over there we took a few horses over there and run there also Evanston Wyoming they had like a, a kind of a circuit that you could go to kind of take up your whole summer and so we did that, and then in the fall, when we get done running, we'd go home, and then I'd go back to riding performance horses. And I took some of them ex-race horses and did things with them, roped on them, run barrels, got them better, better handles on them. And so, do they uh, make do they make performance horses after a racetrack career? Some of them do, yeah. I mean, is it rare? It, it depends. Well, it depends on how much they've been run and how you know who handled them when they when they did run them. So if they had good basics on them before they were run. A lot of them horses could come back around and, and, and make performance horses. If they didn't, it's pretty hard. But Describe for people who don't know, because we've had some horses off the track. When I was a kid, we, my dad was the chaplain at Maynard Downs, and my uncle was the chaplain at uh, Sam Houston. My dad was like the head of the chaplaincy department for the state of Texas. So we were, we were around racing a little bit. We had some horses that sort of didn't make the turn, right? Oh, yeah. Describe what that's like when you get a horse that is not going to make it after his racing career, how do they behave? Well, so, uh, it, you know, the thing that you'd lose so much of when your horse has been run is they lose a lot of sensitivity in the bars of their mouth because when a horse is exercised, they put full contact, pull on them as they're exercising. Well, after a while they lose that sensitivity in their mouth and they learn to run into pressure rather than give to pressure. So, 
you know, like I said, how, how long has that horse been run has a lot to do with how easy they are to transition over into a performance background or not. And we had a, a kind of part of our story. We had a gildan by the name of Lord Alamedes, and he was, we bought him as a yearling, and for 1200 bucks, I had, I gave 600 cash, and I told a lady I'd give her the other 600 after we run him. So we took, but I, I, when we broke him, he, he, we broke him just like any, any performance horse. We okay. broke him as like a horse that was not going to go to the track. Right. So I taught him to stop and back up and do rollbacks and lope good circles. And, and, and I worked a cow on him when he was a, a long yearling. I mean, coming by the time he was two years old, he would cut a cow before I took him to the racetrack. No kidding. So then when we took him to the racetrack, well, we, he won like, he won the South Dakota bred fraternity at Fort Pier that spring. So like 6,000 right there, just boom. So anyway, that horse, we run him. We didn't start him very many times because I knew I did not want to make a full-blown racehorse out of him. I wanted to go, come back and be a perform, him be a performance horse. So I didn't let the jockeys ride him mostly. I rode him myself or I ponied him or stuff like that. But we didn't lose a lot of that sensitivity in mm -hmm. his mouth. That horse stayed real light and, and uh, was, was super broke. Uh, so if if you do, do that they, to one before you before you before you run them, then they're real easy to transition back into the back into the performance horse world. Does it change the way a jockey has to ride them if they're that broke? Does you know because a jockey that's used to yeah. just pulling on calluses, mm -hmm. it does a little bit because you know yeah if they're if they they rear back and pull them too hard a horse like that you know ain't gonna ain't gonna run into the bit and ain't gonna run. So yeah you know there's there's rubber mouth pieces and them some of them snaffles you can put on a horse like that that helps that stuff. But yeah, you, I, like I said, I didn't even let them on him any, any more than I had to. I loped right. him myself and kind of kept, kept, you know, t protected him. Were you, were you building plans to go on in the race world or was that just something that fit into the program you already had? Did you, did you have plans of like getting the All-American as the end goal or? No, 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 no. He was, that horse, like I said, he, he was so talented in, in, in the, in the, as an athlete and smart that horse that I, I had no plans to go long-term racing with him he was it was just a means of him making us some money mm -hmm. and and i think he made 7500 that summer and i was always planned on going back and we we cut on him we'd snaffle bit at him we we he won he won a, a he won a lot of barrel fraternities and we sold him to martha josie so he he was a that horse made money. He was just a winner. He was yeah. a great horse. He, he placed in them in them. Uh, I took him to Cheyenne, uh, won the amateur division on him there. Uh, made the open finals on him in the snaffle bit deal. Had never been to any. I didn't even really know how to do it very much. You know how but big that, was it? How big was he? He, he was like fifteen two, but beautiful horse. He was a Alamedes bar. Well, he was a half brother to to uh, uh, Frenchman's guy. It was out of his mother. And then a horse called Liege Lord, which is, was a son of Alamedes Bar. And uh, so he, he was a really cool horse. Purdy, extremely good moving horse, a lot of athletic ability, and just one of them winners. I mean, it didn't matter what you did on him. He was, he was a winner. So not wanting to pursue the career with him racing, but for yourself, was it something that you thought would be more a part of your future or did you just know like i'm gonna do racing as part of it but really what i also want to do is all these other things were you ever like full bore i'm gonna be a racehorse guy no i don't think so uh back to that horse he was he was the he was the beginning of of uh 
getting an interest in that bloodline of horses mm-hmm. that we ended up. That horse mm-hmm. sparked the interest to me. Of I went looking at his relatives as we went as we went along and buying his relatives and get and getting more involved in them bloodlines. But that horse was the one that started our program. Well, um, and maybe that's what I was trying to ask. Um, I know that you said he was a half brother of Frenchman's guy, so obviously that's going to lead to Frenchman's guy. But in the meantime. That, maybe that's what I was trying to ask is were you going to try to build a racehorse program or were you still just wanting to do all of it with racing as part of it? Because we know, we'll, we'll, we'll hear about it in a second, but we know it leads to Frenchman's guy, but what was the end goal with the horses as you started looking through the relatives? Well, just at the time we, we, we started, we didn't even have any mares or anything like that at all. We would just buy them really good try to buy the good prospects like him mm-hmm. and make good horses in yeah. them, out of them and sell them because it generated quite a so bit it was of just sort of a, a program of building horses and selling and yeah that that was our idea at that time you know we give twelve hundred dollars for him and he made us fifty sixty thousand while we had him and then we sold him for twenty five thousand back in the in the early 80s late 80s so wow. he he was a you know he was generated this a lot of money at that time mm-hmm. and you know we thought man we need to we need to pursue this more these this bloodline horses and I'd I'd gallop when I was in high school I galloped race horses also and the mare family he came from I got to see them and be around them and actually lope some of them I freelance uh, galloped down there at the racetrack when I was in high school and I got I, I got to I remember seeing the mares that mare family he was from and gorgeous mares way ahead of their time and so. That would, they built an interest right off the bat there, and then I, I got him, and we got more of them, that, that bloodline of horses. And the, the more of them we got, the more we decided, hey, these are what we want to do right, now. Right, right, now, right. At later, you know, I'll yep. talk about it later, but that's, this is where we want to raise, this is where our program we want to go was these, these kind of horses. I want to go back real quick because you said you were riding racehorses in high school. How did that first conversation go? Who on earth would let a high school kid ride their racehorses? <laughs> Well, I guess times are a little tif- different. Them, you know, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd lope horses that need lope. Plus, I, I mean, I could, I'd rode a lot of colts, and them, a lot of them racehorses would kind of some of them would be bronky, and some of them, them jockeys didn't want to, didn't want to mess. Well, with I, them. I mean, I'm, I understand growing up in your background that you would have been able to. I'm just curious how it started that somebody believed you and gave you a chance to even start. Oh, I guess I knew, you know, I knew people down there and, and the, yeah, they were always looking for some young guy, to, young guy. To, <laughs> some crash test. Yeah, dummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah to, to ride them horses. The, the, the so it wasn't, that, it wasn't that hard to get them to let no, you on? Not at all. No, that was easy. Do you ever race? I never, I was, I was too big, you know. Yeah. I, I gate broke my own horses. I, yeah. I worked a lot of them. Yeah. yeah I, I, I was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Is that a regret to not know what that feels like? I, I, I'm glad I got to experience it because, yeah, a lot of people don't. There's a lot of adrenaline there. No, I'm saying like an actual race. Do you regret oh, that? Oh, not really. To? No, I didn't <laughs> I didn't have that interest. No. No, I was more into the – I wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to do the cowboy things. Yeah, hat fit better than a helmet. Yeah, yeah, that was that was my interest. Um, so you're rocking along and all of a sudden now <clears> – so you're ranching, right? You got your place? When, well, uh, you mean – During – when you're starting to kind of put these horses together – well, we bought a we bought a little place place in the Black Hills down at Hermosa, South Dakota, in the in, Tierney in, country, in, right? Right. He was our neighbor, so we were like within a couple miles where Paul lived there. But yeah, we moved to the Black Hills, <clears throat> thankfully because where we grew up down there on that river, you know, the flies were terrible. 
that the 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 temperatures were extreme. We you know had super cold winters, hot muggy summers, mm -hmm. and my wife and I when we went out there to race, we found out the climate out there was way more. Not Man. I am sold on Equinity products. It's one of the things we get the most questions about actually is does it work? All of my horses are on it. I'm telling you, you can tell a noticeable difference. It's the thing that uh, triggers the pituitary gland to work more efficiently. And for you science nerds, uh, the pituitary gland is sort of like the control center for all of the chemicals and all the balances. And it's, uh, it's the control center that keeps a horse healthy. Um, I've noticed I've noticed a physical change, but to be honest, the mental impact that it has on them, keeping them calm, ready to show up, ready to go to work, check them out. Uh, you can you can find them at all their social media at Equinity. Let's be honest, who hasn't heard of Equinity? I'm not telling you how to find them. You already know. I'm just telling you the experience I had and it is worth it. I will never not feed Equinity to my horses. If you haven't subscribed yet, let me tell you what you're missing out on. We record some bonus episodes. There is a time every now and then when um, whatever restriction doesn't allow. So there will be some episodes without it, but uh, we really try to get some bonus material. It's just stupid questions. Um, kind of gives you a, a more light look into the people that we're getting to sit down and visit with. And so I want to encourage you, jump on, check it out. Uh, it's a cool way to support the podcast too. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's what we, that's why we're doing it. Better look, you know, we don't want the podcast to just be something that's silly for hours. Um, but it is a little break um, for like the typical temperature of what we normally do on the podcast. So uh, if you haven't, check it out, subscribe now. When you guys rate and review, uh, it really does help make the podcast more visible. Um, it seems like we've been getting messages more frequently here lately. It says, I just found this podcast. Um, been, it's funny to me because it seems like we've promoted it. How does everyone not know? So the fact that there's still people finding it, um, when you guys rate and review, uh, helps us a bunch, helps us become more discoverable. So everybody who's done that, thank you very much. If you haven't, maybe give it a shot. It's been fun to watch the sort of meteoric rise of unbeatable feeds. Um, what that means is that when people start to feed it, they keep feeding it. And that's, that's what I like to hear because those are the results that I've had with it also. Um, it's probably just a personality defect that when I like something, I like when other people like it also. Uh, I'd said that Ren Richard was feeding a pound and a half to his steers. It's actually two and a half pounds, but point being, um, it's not only an amazing horse feed. It's not only the thing that has put gut health, hind gut health, um, it's a super fiber and all those things. It's also just a tremendous steer feed also. So glad you guys are liking it. Glad you guys are feeding it. Check them out on Beatable Feeds. We found out the climate out there was way more nice for being in the horse world. So once, we, once we'd been there that one, one summer racing, we decided to, we had a house in Fort Pierre. We decided to sell that, move to the hills. We bought a little 29-acre piece of land down there by Hermosa. And we was down there like 10 years, and that's where we started training. We did everything there. We, you know, we still trained racehorses, but we did, you know, we, wrote, we wrote, broke a lot of colts, uh, trained, started training rope horses. I even messed with a cutting deal for a, for a couple, two or three years. Really? Yeah. Uh, the, the, when I had Lord Alamedis, you know, I, I really got the bug for that, you know, because I was fun working cattle and, right. and feeling one of them horses doing the things they do, you know, and it's real cowy. So, we did the snaffle bit and cow and, and cutting deal there for two or three, oh, maybe even four years as in part of that time frame. So, and that was another learning experience for us as far as different things about different horses, why we liked, you know, we, we, we learned a lot about the race horses, their conformation, their brains, their, how they moved a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the things that, that we admired about them. But then we, when we stepped over into the, to the, the, 
cow horse world and the cutting world where we that opened some more doors for mm-hmm. us to learn more about you know looking at horses and in, all the time we were doing this each one of them deals we did your eye we built i, I guess you learn you get you're building your eye as you're looking mm-hmm. at these horses and mm-hmm. you're learning things about certain horses you like and why they're built the way they are and then you're sure. lear- learning things about certain horses maybe they ain't they're not built the way you want so you, then you start putting together your eye of of uh, through the through the time of being involved in these different deals of what you really want your horses right. to look like right. act like and you know be built like you know my grandpa used to say most people will never own a good horse because they don't know what a good horse looks like and if you do and you know what you're looking for it, it kind of makes the process a little simpler you just rule out from the beginning you just rule out a lot of things yeah the confirmation the things that you don't want to see the bloodlines that you've had difficulties with you know you could say there's so many horses for sale but when you, what, what you said about developing your eye, once you start to get that, you realize why the horses are expensive and why they're worth it because it's such a, it's so much less of a risk than just, you know, a sale barn horse and hoping it works out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, you're, you know, you make mistakes through the years when you're, when you're uh, developing that eye because you'll buy, you'll raise or you'll buy either one. Some of them horses that have flaws in them, and you, and sometimes you'll even know they got flaws in them, but you'll go ahead and, and try the deal anyway. Then you put put them, you know, you put them to the fire, yeah. and they fall apart. Well, and that flaw that was there, yeah, the whole that time flaw is that why. was there, yeah. yeah. And so if, over time, you develop an eye. Your eye says, "Hey, no, we don't want this. I don't like them, them long cannon bones. I don't like them long pasterns." I want a medium. I want to, you know, I want things to be balanced. I want a mm-hmm. horse to be balanced. I don't want his back to be too long. Uh, you know, you, you just, your eye becomes, cr- I guess, critical is the word I'd use. You, 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 you got to be critical of, of, ho- of what you're looking at when you look at a horse. And, and I mean, in a, in a way of, of <clears throat> if they got flaws, you need to be aware of them. And then none of them are perfect. I'm not trying to say, that you, you're going to get a you're we don't we don't get many perfect horses but as close to perfect as you can get is what you want to try to get so there there's just a there's a there's a way a horse is supposed to be made right. that, that makes him sound and move good and be and be able to do his job easier right. well and and to your point they're not very many perfect horses if any but there are flaws you can live with mm-hmm. you know, man i wish that wasn't there but it's not fatal yep and then there's other things that's like i just Yep, you can't have them. Yeah. What are some things that you see people, maybe this is a trade secret, you may not want to answer this. <laughs> what are some mistakes that you see people commonly making with horses that would help? You know, if they're going to go look at a horse that they want to buy, what are some really common things that people overlook? Well, I think people are are not critical enough or, or, or overlook uh, horses that don't have enough bone and substance. And I think the modern horses that we're seeing today, you know, that's why everybody's at the vet all the time. Mm. You know, if you, if you don't have, you know, if you have a long, long cannon bone, if you have a long, long pasture, they're, they're, they, chances of them holding up are way you know, less than a horse that's that's got a medium length pastern and a, a good short cannon bone with some depth to it. Sure. And the whole part of the horse, if I, I think that's the biggest thing, is I think people get caught up in papers, mm-hmm. and they get you know they they don't 
they are not strict enough that the papers still have a good individual over here with them. Yeah, because, right. Because everybody, yeah, we all want good bred horses, and that's what helps sell them is them good pedigrees. But if they don't have a, if they're not a balanced horse with with good soundness issue, you know, good soundness conformation, they're they're not a good product as far as I'm concerned. What about built uphill or downhill? Where does that register on your list? You know, if they're well, lower in the front end or higher in the front end? Ideally, I want one to be level or, if anything, I'd rather have one just a little bit higher in the yeah. front end. Yeah. But but I've seen, you know, seen both sides of that. I mean, you see that's the cutting world. That's cut not a world. deal breaker you're saying? No, if, as long as it ain't extreme, you know, mm-hmm. I can live with a little bit of that. But because, uh, uh, you know, you're cutting world, a lot of them have tendency of being a little bit downhill. And, and then the racehorse world, they're the other way. So, yep. you know. So I didn't mean to skip. I want to go back. You bought 29 acres uh, in the Black Hills. That's not that's not ranching. So you're not no, there yet, no, right? No, no, no. Like that is that is. You correct me if I'm wrong. That's almost like residential. Yeah, in almost, that part of the yeah. world, like yeah, that. Yeah. And you're training horses, and so if you're training horses on a 30 acre piece, not that that's nothing, but that's not the spread the guy grows up hoping for to retire on in the end in that part of the world. So, and I say that only to say this. You knew you hadn't gotten where you wanted to go yet. Mm-hmm. So then from there, what's the, what's the plan? Well, we lived there for 10 years and, and trained out of there and, and, and kind of established ourselves in the Black Hills. But it was, we was outgrowing it. It was getting to where we, you know, needed more space, needed more, needed more area, started getting into raising horses. So we, uh, after 10 years, we found another place up in the northern part of Black Hills, and we sold that place and moved to St. Ange, where we're at now, mm-hmm. and got a little bit bigger. It's 200. We bought a place up there that had 200 acres, uh, and that seemed a, it's like, a little closer. Uh, yeah. help, a little help. Yeah, we had, we had it felt was good for several years. Before before Frenchman's guy comes along, you're doing all this, you're training and selling horses. What kind of what kind of success stories were coming out of there before? that stud got there i mean you said you were training and starting out grow the 29 acres what kinds of successes that people maybe wouldn't know about any horses specifically that maybe came through during that period well you know i i I bought and sold quite a few horses through the years there before we got frenchman's guy that were you know as i think back on several of them were real 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 good horses we had one by the name of escott's do more and he was a he was a race bred horse that some people sent us to run, and uh, he he was really fast going short, but he couldn't run run out there far enough. But anyway, bought him, and uh, cut on him for for a year. He was a real cowy, even though he's a race bred horse, and showed him uh, just a little bit in the cutting, and then uh, I, I kind of got out of the cutting deal there, and I, I decided, well, I'm going to go make a head horse out of him. So that horse was so broke that I mean, from when I picked up a rope. Until when I took him to a jackpot, I was thinking it was two weeks. What? Two weeks. He was, oh, he's unbelievable. He's cowie, sunbuck. Anyway, that horse, I ended up selling him to T. Woolman. And at the time, I didn't have him facing very good. So I sold him to T, and T couldn't get him facing, facing. And so I bought him back from T. And then I rode him another year and a half and got him facing good, rode him myself and roped mm-hmm. on him and, and, and won pretty good in that country on him. And then I end up selling him to D. Pickett. And uh, D. rode him for about a year, and he fractured his pelvic on oh, that mercy. horse. Oh, mercy. Anyway, so that was one of them. But I had a lot of horses that 
that went on and made really good horses. I sold, uh, oh shoot, like Jake Barnes. I, I ended up selling him a Greyhead horse uh, that I that I bought and, and made. Yeah. And so it was sold. just it wasn't like any giant huge hits. It was no. just steady. Yeah. Building yeah. them, selling them. Yeah. Yeah. Paul actually, Paul Tierney. You know, he helped me. You know, get in contact with some of them guys and got my deal going. And then I, you know, I got enough of them out there that people finally went to, hey, you know, coming to me, you know, right. in that in that deal. But uh, I rode a lot of calf horses there when really? I was in Hermosa, trained a lot of calf horses and uh, really liked doing that and had some of them kind of go t- on and do good, you know. Um, just had a lot of a lot of horses that, that went on and made good horses for a lot of different people after we sold them, you know. But that's tough sledding. I mean, it sounds, you know, to, to the guy sitting in an office wishing he could be a horse trainer, it sounds better than it is. I mean, if it's just little hits, little hits, little hits, mm-hmm. you're just you're one foot in the financial grave all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's month to month for sure. Yeah. It's, you're right. I mean, it's unless there is one giant win every now and then, I mean, you just feel like you're just almost barely staying in front of the volcano. I mean, oh, I tell you that that time when we that them ten years that we were at Hermosa. It was a financial struggle. I mean, that's where all that gray hair came yeah, from. Yeah, <laughs> and lot and loss of. But yeah, it was it was a it was a struggle. I mean, we struggled. It, it was my wife and me. We we worked really hard. I shot I shod horses my whole life too. So, you know, between riding and shoeing and stuff, I, we'd keep the keep the the wolves away. I guess you could say. But it, it was hard. It we we it was not an easy an easy ten years in there. Was there was there a time in there where you guys just looked each other in the face and said, maybe we should think about doing something else? Or was it that you loved it enough that as long as something didn't cause you to stop, you're good to keep going? Yeah, no, I don't think that ever was the case. We never, ever wanted to do anything else. So that, that was just, it was just like, I, I do remember thinking, dang, God, do you want me to be broke my whole life? I, was, I can remember thinking them kind of thoughts, but I never I'm, wanted to go and do anything else. I wanted right. to be involved in the horse world. Right. So you move up there. You got 200 acres now, which now feels like potential for growth. Mm-hmm. Now you're at a place where, like, if things go well, you can grow into your spot. There's nothing worse than being closeted in on potential, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember when you bought that place? How you felt? Was it instant? Like, okay, I'm ready to go. Like, let's let's go to the next level with what we're doing, or was it just like, we'll see how it goes? What? I'm just trying to imagine this because I've about outgrown everything I'm on to, so I'm I'm trying to live vicariously through your choice to move. When you when you got there, was it was it like a shot in the arm as far as energy to keep going? Yeah, I was a, you know it was a new kind of a new hit new chapter in our deal and and yeah had some possibilities there we didn't have down below had more space had more opportunity to you know like I took in some feeder cattle and and did you know put them on some like creeps and things like my father in law run the sale barn there at Saint Ange mm-hmm. and he 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 helped us you know, do some stuff. He'd bring over cattle and we'd take care of them for him and uh, that we could, you know, do with that little bit more land. And just a different area, maybe closer to Wyoming, North Dakota, Montana there that, that got me new clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, was, yeah, it was, it was good. I, I think it was real good for our growth. Um, a little, not quite as good a weather up on that end of the hills as the other ends, but but that was the only thing that I would, that say that was you know not good about it. Yeah, that's not a small thing. I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> those days you're breaking ice. It doesn't seem yeah. like a minimal thing. Yeah, it, it was wintery, more winter, more winter, more wintery up there. And how long were you there before the yellow cult showed up? 
Uh, actually, we, we got him when we were still in Hermosa. Oh, really? Yeah, so he, we'd have took him with us. He was, uh, he was a 1987 model, okay. and he was a probably, uh, we left there in 92, so he'd have been about four or five years old when we moved to St. Ange. Oh, shoot, we've skipped way too much of this story. I want to go back. <laughs> um, you'd, already, you'd already found a bloodline that you liked. You yep. know, the Lord Alameda had, mm-hmm. had done his job as far as introduction to the bloodline. Mm-hmm. Um, you start building horses around that. Mm-hmm. Where The Hagans had mentioned when I saw him in Vegas that they said they wanted to ask about the time you had him sold. So there's some questions I've got in here for this horse. Sure. But if you go back, where did, do you remember the, <laughs> knowing what he became, all the legend that follows that horse, do you remember the first time he ever crossed paths, whether it was an ad or somebody told you about him the first time he saw him? Do you remember your first encounter related to that horse? Yeah. Well, I, I, I bought him basically sight unseen because I had bought all his brothers and sisters before him that were champions and that made us a lot of money. And so I didn't even need to look at him. I bought him as a baby colt. And, and there was a partnership between Francis Loiza, which was the owner of them mares, mm-hmm. and, and the Cowans. They, they was running them mares for, for her, and they bred them to their studs. Mm-hmm. And then them, they was joint owners in them, in them colts. I see. So I basically bought him from them guys when he was a baby colt. They delivered him out there to the hills that fall, and... I don't know if we want to talk, talk all, I mean, there's so many details between yes, there. Yes, we do. You know, <laughs> but anyway, you know, he was a colt, baby colt when we bought him. Okay. Good looking rascal, you know, but, you know, give 2,500 for him back when you could buy, you know, 10 colts for that. Sure. And because that bloodline was starting to get popular and, you know, Bozo come along here before long. And, and that was another horse that, you know, helped get Frenchman's guy started. How was Bozo related to Frenchman's guy? They're three-quarter brothers. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so a lot of things happened that, you know, step-by-step step that, you know, that helped that horse. So you buy him, he stays on the mare for a while? No, no, just he was weaned that fall okay. when I bought him. Yeah. Gotcha. They brought him out and he was weaned. And like I said, I, I'm asking questions about him that I would never ask about somebody else's horse because there, there are details that wouldn't be interesting to me otherwise. But just because, like I said, I mean, I, I can't remember a time not hearing about that stud. I can't remember a time not wanting a horse that had that bloodline in him. I've mm-hmm. seen so many horses that are just like art pretty mm-hmm. that are related to him. They're not just winners. They're beautiful. And all that has gone on with that horse's lineage. And so for that reason, I'm I'm now curious about as a as a baby when he got there, what personality wise, what was he? Well, he was a real, uh, real good look. Again, good looking. He'd catch your eye. He's beautiful colt, and he was he was not really what you'd call a like a real f- people person type of colt. He'd just soon stay, but kind of stay away from you. But uh, quick little kind of quick re- reactive little horse, mm-hmm. and uh, just. Just a, it wasn't wild, but he wasn't what you'd call like a real gentle colt either. Uh, and we didn't, you know, we had him around there until he got hurt, you know. And then we were we were kind of we were so I guess discouraged after he got hurt. Was the plan to geld him and sell him eventually when you had him? Like, was that sort of where you thought it would go, yeah. or did you already have in mind that you may keep him as a stud? No, did not have him in, in mind as we was keeping him a stud. We actually figured we would probably make him. 
and then sell him because you know that had made us a lot of money in the past and that was kind of what he was aimed at was to make you know make him make a fraternity horse out of him and then sell him so i want to go back and answer a question yeah by now you've heard me brag up and down about the ranch hand solar lights um, I've said they, they, you've heard this, they, they are the reason I was able to keep up and going through the summer. Uh, we went fully to graveyard and they were, they were a lifesaver for us. Um, hurry and get them ordered. If you're thinking you might get them, you know, you might someday buy some, get them ordered right now. There's a little bit of a waiting list. They will get to you, but order them now to get on the list. I'm telling you pro series lights have been a complete game changer. I have my other lights, the smaller ones that I had before over my stalls, keeping hair off my horses. Check them out, Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. They're on all the social medias. Um, it, I, I mean, I can, what do I say? I can't brag on them enough. I, I, I recommend them, but then, you know, because they're my friends, because I love them, it starts to sound like a sales pitch. So to avoid that, I'll just tell you, check them out, Ranch Hand Solar Lighting. If you have not yet checked out LoneStar.tv, uh, I would argue that it is the greatest online church in the U.S. I'm probably a little partial. Uncle Randy and Aunt Darla have done a great job. It is one of the premium churches offered online, and it is the number one cowboy church offered online. So with everybody traveling, the way that schedules go and everybody being busy, uh, it's a place that's really prioritized making that experience as intimate and personal as possible. So you guys check them out at LoneStar.tv. There are buildings going up in Arizona right now, brought to you by Roper Buildings. You guys can check them out at roperbuildings.com. Also, one of the things I've said, and I, I really would encourage you to do, is go check out their social media. Um, you think Pole Barn, and instantly I, I've said it before, you feel like it's Grandpa's hay shed. It is so much more. It's got such a residential feel. It can be customized. It's done by professionals, people that have made a, a tremendous impact in the industry for a long time. You're getting to tap in not only to their expertise and experience, but some of the best quality workmanship you'll find. Turdy horse out of him and then sell him. So I want to go back and answer a question you asked a minute ago. If God, did you just intend for me to be broke my whole life? <laughs> uh, based on your actions, you might have gotten there. Proof that God didn't want you to just struggle like that. What can you can you walk me through the injury? Because yeah. ultimately, that saved a lot, yeah. a lot of good. And I know at the time it yeah. wasn't like you walked out and said yippee. Yeah. Yep. Do you no. remember the day it happened? Yeah, it was very, very, uh, very clearly. It was in the winter time, and our oldest son was cleaning his stall, Chad, and he had, he was just he had the wheelbarrow pushed up in front of the stall gate, and the gate was partially closed, and he was in there cleaning his stall, and he got scared. I don't know what scared him, but he got scared. Well, he was going to try to jump out over the top of the wheelbarrow, and Chad, out of just re you know reaction he thought I'll, I'll stop him i'll block him from jumping over that wheelbarrow with the stall and, fork. and he had a he had a you know metal fork was that we had straw in there so anyway he, the colt jumped right into that deal and poked his poked wreck poked his eye out and it was immediate there yeah, was no it, chance of saving it it was immediate uh actually paul tierney was there and we we had a, it was a storm there was kind of a storm going on and we couldn't get him to the vet right away and there was a vet that lived close to us there, and he come over, and uh, we we just I think we I know we tied a leg up on him and laid him down, and held him down, and and uh, and he sewed that eye shut mm -hmm. for because he said we're going to have to take it out, but we can't do it here. Yeah. So he he sewed that eye shut, and then when that storm was over, we took him to town, and then they took the eye out, and then of course from there on he didn't have he didn't have but one eye. So. <laughs> Here you go, uh, a colt that you paid a lot for. There's absolutely no chance you're going to get that back out of as a colt with no eye. Well, with one eye. Yeah. Um, 
obviously you don't have to explain to people the the catastrophe that that is where where did it even start to go from there where i mean did it immediately change the way you had it planned what i mean where do you start from there you get him stitched up you come home what's the conversations well the you know you're so discouraged you know because you had you know big hopes of this horse you know being a high dollar horse and making lots of money on him and all of a sudden he's worth nothing mm. and so you're just so disgusted so we let him stand around there the rest of the winter and and then come spring uh had a good friend uh that had a, ran- a big ranch they're not too far from us and i asked him i said Do you care if i just bring him down and turn him out on grass he said no I'll bring him on down so uh his name was don fish and anyway there's a little place down there by buffalo gap we took him down there and turned him out well, I don't think I got him back in until he was coming three. Oh, wow. So yeah. he was just feral just, there for a while. Yeah, just turned him out, got, didn't even think about him. Just a disaster, you know. And right. Probably not going not, not gonna to be able to mess with him, just leave him alone, whatever, you know. What's your attitude in those times? Because I would tell you, I vacillate. There's sometimes I go through stuff and I'm, like, surprised that it was just, like, I was able to be even keel. And there are times I'm really disappointed in myself that I let things get me the way that it does. And so... Where do you fall on that scale? When something like that happens, is it like question everything or is it just take it in stride and keep going? What? How? Let me ask you this way. How would your kids tell me that you handle those types of situations? What would be the description? Well, it, it, as it, you know, when it happened, right when it happened, I was, of course, a lot of different emotions. I was, un, I was mad. I was disgusted. I was like... You know, I looked at all the negatives on, on mm-hmm. what had happened and was, yeah, just kind of beside myself for a little while there. But once, you know, once it happened and we did, we got done what we did, and it was like, all right, well, I guess that's the way it's supposed to be. And and I didn't even think about it anymore. Then it was over, just that, healed, yeah, healed I over. Didn't, didn't even think about it anymore, and that's the way it is. And like I said, out of sight, out of mind, took right. him, turned him out. Right. You're, they're him. not being reminded of it yeah. every single day. I'm not yeah. seeing him for a year and a half and just forgot about it. Yeah. And that's, that, you know, went on with life, you know. It's a good answer. I like that. <laughs> I feel like that's, I feel like that's an honest way of like, go ahead and just sit in it for a minute and then get over it and move on. Yeah. I mean, I didn't dwell on it from then on because, you know, it was done and what, what can you do, you know? Mm-hmm. So he comes back probably even wilder now because if he wasn't just like super gentle when he turned him out he definitely didn't get more gentle out there yeah did you have to rope him <laughs> no you know he was that cold always had so much feel he was halter broke really good when we turned him out and oh uh, yeah he was you know definitely not gentle by any means but he wasn't crazy wild or anything like that he was he was he was easy actually we when we did bring him back up and start him heck he was super easy to break it was like so intelligent and so mm-hmm. you know he only had that one eye and just had to you had to build confidence w- with him that you weren't going to scare him, especially on that one side or hurt right. him or hurt him and stuff. But as soon as he got confidence in in me, he he was a, he was extremely talented from day one, and you could feel it. And you knew he was a not a normal horse. Well, and the added challenge in that is that you got two options. You can either go build a one-eyed performance horse which you kind of have to because if you don't, the other option is you're going to try to promote an unproven stud that never did anything. So it's not like there's a real clean path forward. You're either going to have to 
go ahead and try to get him some sort of earnings or some sort of record with one eye or just hope that people see his breeding and you know then it's a longer road because now his babies have to be doing something before it gives him value am i am i saying that right mm -hmm. yeah. so you guys broke him with the idea that what would well we 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 broke him with the idea that we, he he basically told us himself that he was a superstar individual from you could you could feel it when you wrote him and so we we thought well heck we're going to try to promote him with one eye so we did we took him to the fraternities when he when he was five with one eye and uh running barrels on him yeah I, I actually wrote him in a couple of his first fraternities placed on him at the first fraternity i went to God, is there a video of bill myers running barrels <laughs> at a fraternity on frenchman's guy with one eye is that does that video exist i don't know if it does or not deb and i are going to talk but it it he was a he was a i mean he was a cool horse and uh, how did he how did he compensate for the blind eye you know he was so broke it was crazy uh, you know he didn't have no right eye and like his first barrel was you couldn't even tell he didn't have that eye he, it was one of the I got, we do the, you, we you, do have videos a lot of videos of him and he is a phenomenal first barrel horse he could he could inhale inhale it wow. but when you sat down and said whoa and and uh, ask him to you know get ready to turn he he did it. And Do you think that he actually had to have more trust? And this sounds really lame and Disney movie. I don't mean it that way, but. Do, do you think a horse has to almost rely more on you without that eye and just trust that they've got to listen, or do you think they get more self-preserving? How did you think he did? Not all of them. How did, did you feel like that that helped him? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he I think he 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 had a lot of feel, and he probably developed a little bit more than a lot of horses would because of his lack of that eye and so he probably relied on 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 listening to the rider maybe more a lot more than a lot of horses that had two eyes would you know yeah yeah so he compensated for it so here here's bill myers raising a family carving life out of the rocks this horse comes along the mistakes that or i don't want to say the mistake the accident or whatever that's still a long road. Even with that, that's still a long road. Now you're hauling him and he's doing good and he, you know he's a great horse, which is even almost more frustrating because you're like, well, now now we know what we poked an eye out of, right? There's almost It's almost like you go back almost and regret it again later. Right? Am, I, am I wrong? Yeah. So how long into this? Because, again, at this, at this point in the story, you guys are still, like, eating what you kill, right? And so... When did that start, you know, if this was a movie, when does, like, the dramatic music start that goes, oh, wait a minute, this might potentially be something really, really good? Do you remember where that first possibility came in? Well, the thing about that, it was, it was a slow process, that happening. Because when he was, I think, three, we stood him. We actually took a few mares to him, not very many, five or six outside mares, I think at $300 a deal. Was that a, was that a salvage idea of like, he's only got one eye. Why not just, try it? Yeah. Well, we'll just generate a little bit of money, yeah, you know? Cause, right. Cause like you said, we, we struggled. Yeah. It was so, a sal it was a salvage. It wasn't yeah. cause you thought it was going to yeah. be the greatest no, thing no, ever. Had, it was just, had, had no idea that it yeah. would be turned into what it did. <laughs> Trying to pay off his eye yeah. vet bill. <laughs> it just, just generate a little income. But anyway, it was a slow process of, of between when we started trying to promote him as a stallion and then where he got to like, like Debbie, uh, we, she, the first ads we made on him, my wife took and she bought, we took pictures of him ourselves. 
and she she cut them out, put them on. You could buy you could buy them cheaper if you if you bought them with a Christmas card deal. And she <laughs> she cut the pictures off, and then she made these little homemade homemade uh, uh, flyers that we hung up around here and there. No and kidding. Yeah, when we when he was first starting out, the first two or three years. Had you ever stood a stud before that? Well, we had we had another horse called Tiger Frost that that we stood for a little bit. He was a son of Docs Jack Frost uh, that me and another guy owned together. But you know he was a, he was more of a cut and bred horse, mm-hmm. and he didn't get we we got a few mares to him, but he was not a real successful stud as far as generating a lot of money. Uh, but no, he was Frenchman's guy was the first real true stud that we that we that we tried to make and promote do you you find yourself promoting a horse before you fully believe in them and what i mean by that is you're trying to recoup some of your losses right so you're going to promote the stud because you're going to try to make some money is that hard to promote one that you're not even fully sure what you're promoting yet because i mean if you got offspring and they're winning and going great well now you can get behind it you know that's almost a passion project of like i see what he's created and i want more of those in the world that's an easy thing to promote is that a hard thing to promote one that's still a maybe yeah, I think so a little bit. Except that, like, we didn't have much choice. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> didn't matter. We just like, hey, we're going to try this. If it works, fine. If it don't, fine. But a lot of things lined up. You know, plumb back to the like when he lost his eye. You know, that turned out to be a blessing, really. Sure. It, when we because he would have been gelded and yeah, gone. at the time, we you know we we thought you know it was a disaster, but it was a blessing because he went on to become a famous horse that made us tons of money. Mm. Uh, same thing with like his his career the next step is that we, we we promoted him a little bit that direction but also bozo was coming yeah on. He, right. he at the same time that that frenchman's guy was was a fraternity horse bozo was becoming so national. you're catching a haze from christy yeah, peterson christy peterson's helped us he was a three he was the only three-quarter brother standing in the united states at that time so we got what bozo did help frenchman's guy yeah. a lot so then that went to generate a number of mares. To well, you guys are no dummies. You're the only one standing a three-quarter brother now. Hey, hey, guess what, everybody? I mean, you have something to actually get behind to put on the promotions. Yep. That, that yep. Yep. Yeah, we used Bozo as, a, as part of our advertising. Hey, yes. you know, he, so he was, a, he was a huge. So like I said, these things that happened all happened in, 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 time, in a timely deal, but it, was, it wasn't all like one or two or three years. It was a five-year stretch, and a 10-year stretch and then you know it just as as time went on it just got better and better and uh so so without trying to skip and i, I mean for the sake of time i know there's going to be things i just won't get to but first crop of colts hit when he's a four-year-old right would that mm-hmm. be right mm-hmm. him at three mm-hmm. and really i mean you can know if something's a pretty little baby but you don't really know what they are as horses yet so you start maturing him as four and five-year-old year is that right Frenchman's guy, yeah, we took him when yep. he was five, yep. Five. So then by the time he's five, he's got Colts on the ground that are going to be coming too. Mm-hmm. Then you're starting to get a better sense, but there's not that many. Not right? very many at all. And so then he gets to six. What are you doing on him at six? Cause well, my wife, then to further his, his, you know, his resume, my wife just took him to the rodeos and run barrels on him at the rodeos, Debbie, and she won real good on him. She won... When she finally, uh, when she finally took him, see, she had a mare that she won a lot on before him, that was a three-quarter sister to him, and she won everything there was to win up in that country on that mare. Which also, like you're saying, promotes. Yeah, him she was a, again. She was a three-quarter sister. She mm-hmm. was the last colt out of Casey's Lady Love, which is in the Hall of Fame now, 
and that mare was, was her last colt. So she had won a ton on that mare before she stepped on Frenchman's Guy. So then once she did step on Frenchman's Guy, she made the finals of the, well, she made the circuit finals, the Badlands, or the, the uh, NRCA finals, the SDRA finals. She won a lot of jackpots, some big jackpots. She won a bunch on Frenchman's Guy rodeoing on him. Right, and so that was, that, that. how long was that part of his career before he got so valuable it wasn't worth the risk anymore? That was probably a three-year span that she, somewhere's in there, three, four years she ran him. So by um, nine, now he's got colts on the ground that are six, and you know what they are, mm -hmm. and so does somebody else. Mm -hmm. So now, even if the big crop of colts is just now coming, that's still worth letting him go be a, a stud instead of being used and risking the injury. Am I am I thinking right? Yeah. Once he got to where we were booking a, a, a bigger number of mares to him, then he become you know. Then we felt like, well, we you know we shouldn't be running him anymore, taking a chance of hurting him out there can't come home and breed mares right it didn't weigh out business-wise so right. we, we finally quit running him and and retired him to where all we did was stand him as a stud do you remember his first success story as a baby like what what one of his babies was the first one to do something special yeah yeah there was one by the name of cream rises uh that fred and clara wilson from newcastle wyoming raised and he went out and won a couple fraternities right away his very first year not big fraternities but north northern some of them northern fraternities but you could see a, you could see a glimmer of that, that the horse was probably going to come with some some good colts and then uh you know as it wasn't too much there was another one a year or two after that by the name of frenchman's peach that one that went to fort smith and set the fastest qualifying time down there at fort smith and then there was another year or two after that, there was SX Frenchman's Vanilla, and she was a big-time horse. She won everything there was to win when she, when she went out there. And she was the one that got, got the horse super popular with, mm -hmm. with the, the barrel racing world, that mare there, that third mare. But there, he, from the very start, uh, and even some of the mares, you know, naturally the mares, some of the mares we bred him to at, the first, at first weren't really good mares at all. A lot of them were just just mares. what you could get. Yeah, and he still come with some pretty darn good horses yeah. out of some of them real average mares. How how did your life begin to change in that? Because, like I said, it, you described growing up and ranching and the, the racehorse thing and all the ways that everything you've mentioned to this point is labor-intensive, moderate income. I mean, right, right. if you didn't love it, you know, a person from the outside looking in would go, why would you? And I think, I think it's easy for people to lock themselves in that that's just who they are in the world. You know, that they reach their rung on the ladder and it's almost, it's almost in a way, it's almost like survive till you die because that's just, that's where life capped out, right? Yep. So then all of a sudden that begins to change. How did that change you in that process? Well, uh, when we went to, to getting a bigger number of mares to him, and I'm going to use 50, was when he, when he, when he was, uh, I don't remember how old he was, but the first year he got 50 outside mares. You know, I, th I think he was, I don't remember what he was, 600 bucks or something like that, or something like that. Uh, we realized that, that, you know, this horse is maybe going to be able to start generating pretty good income for us. So... Whenever, whenever he went to getting more mares, then then we was able to, you know, they they got more and more every year. He went from the fifty to seventy five to a hundred, to like a hundred and seventy. 
170 a year. What's yeah. the most? What was the most that ever hit? Uh, I, that was probably his biggest year. But we, we you know, we didn't. We did. We we kind of did it as a, a you know a family deal. We didn't mm. send the horse to a a big facility where they could have probably bred. He was a real fertile horse. It, you, we could have bred more mares than that to him, but we kind of did our own deal and mm-hmm. kept him there, and, and that was that was the number we were comfortable with. But whenever we this in his, we gradually raised his stud fee as his colts went to doing more. Certainly, that stud fee went to climbing the ladder. Well, and that's going to back your numbers back. And then, yeah, and then we was able to we like that year we was at uh, 170. I he was probably 3,000 or something like that that year. Wow. But you know he got so much popularity that. That's kind of how we controlled the numbers. Was we would just gradually go up on yeah. our stud fee. At the and peak, at the peak, what was he at the? What he was, was his six thousand. Yeah. As the highest he ever got was six thousand. Yeah, yeah, really? Yeah, he's six thousand. But you know, but that changes your that changes yours. You guys have heard me talk about Bale's hay. Um, I mean, that, well, I've already said everything I can say. It's the best hay I've ever fed. It's the cheapest hay I've ever fed because I don't have to feed as much of it. You know, they steam press it. Just an amazing quality hay, but they've also, if you'll watch the the promo clips that have come out on social media, they also sell some really cool hats, um, got some hoodies and stuff. And so even if you're not in the market for uh, actual alfalfa hay, check them out at baleshay.com. Their hats are sick. They've taken a lot of effort to make sure they have cool stuff to present. So yeah, check them out, Bales Hay. If you're coming to Arizona this or any winter, check out the Roping Calendar. It is the fastest search engine for how to find what you're looking for here in Arizona. You can search by date, which, I mean, there are places you can find dates. You can also search by arena, where you click on the arena you're looking for, and all those flyers will pop up. You can also search by jackpot number and event, like you're looking for a different kind of event, but also the search by jackpot number, that's my favorite. So if I'm just looking for how to find the number 15 ropens, I click on the 15.5 tab, and only the flyers with those ropens will show up. It is the most useful tool in the state of Arizona in my humble opinion. Check it out, ropingcalendar.com. And yes, before you ask, there's an app. We are hot and heavy in the Wehart Wickenburg season of uh, Wickenburg. The 1017 Project is partnered with all of the podcast sponsors to bring you a series called Wehart Wickenburg. It brings hamburger right here to the over 86% of the kids in Wickenburg that are on free or assisted lunches. And every time I tell somebody that number, they just can't believe it that 86% of the kids in the town of Wickenburg from free or assisted lunches. And so uh, the team ropers are partnered together with jackpots to make sure that there's an adequate supply of protein going home with the kids who live right here in the team roping capital of the world. But that changes your, that changes your, I'm not saying your personality. I'm not saying that changes your personality at all, but it changes your status in the world a little bit, even in your own ability to see the world move. You know, that's the one thing that it seems like money does for a guy is it allows him to sort of bring his vision into the world. Where before, sometimes, I mean, you're broke and you're busy and you never really get to see any of your ideas brought into the world because you're broke and busy anyway. So in what ways did you notice things change for you when that started to kind of roll in that way? Yeah, it was a little bit of a snowball type of effect because when that horse went to generate and that kind of money, that allowed me and Deb to go buy, we took... We tried to invest that money mm-hmm. in our back into our business as much as we could, and it that allowed us to go buy. We used to go to the Heritage Place sale every fall, and sometimes we go to two of them sales. But we went to buying really good mares for that. Yeah, and, right. And so that was one of the biggest things is when he went to doing that, th- that horse allowed us to improve our program hugely by 
by by by moving our mayor mayor quality up up way up was that weird to be able to just write a check for an expensive mayor and be able to do it was that just a weird feeling <laughs> it was cool because you know we, we we couldn't have done that 10 years before that you know yeah. and we'd go down there uh with the money he generated from his stud fees and you know buy two three five six head of mares buying better girlfriends and get better yeah. babies and the more you know that was a that was a snowball effect because then you'd take them home and and breed them to him and you'd get better colts and and you you know yeah so so just to for people that might be listening not connecting the dots not only are you getting the stud fee but now with better mares you're getting a better product with the babies that you're able to sell so it's a double whammy so he's getting paid as a stud and then you're getting paid with the babies that you're raising and you're raising better babies because of the mares that you're raising yeah so i mean he's just he's the he's the slot machine well you know them better mares they they allowed they allowed to go out, you know, first of all, we could get more money for them when we sold them because they were out of better bred mares, mm-hmm. better better kind of mares. And so they generated, again, that generated more income for us. But them colts then went on and was they a lot of them won big. Which brought more which breeding brought, fees. Which brought more back, you know, just it was a snowball deal. It, yeah. all, all of it worked better because we always worked on, you know, like I said, investing our money back into our deal and making our quality go up. Mm-hmm. and. The more we did of that, the more, he, the more our program becomes successful. So, again, uh, and I want to I want to kind of peck around until I feel like the the question makes sense because I want to know from in, internally. I, I hear the external. Internally, how did it change your outlook on the world when things started to finally, after all these years of working and beating your head against the rocks, and it finally starts to work internally? What did you see change? Well, you know, life become easier. I mean, we we was able to do things that we we couldn't used. You know, we couldn't do that on the financial side of things. Of when then we finally went to like I said, investing in things that were that was good for us and and doing things for our family. And we tried to help other people that we couldn't have used to have done. And mm-hmm. uh, just, did you did you ever go on a vacation? Was there ever a time where you're like, let's just try it, let's just see if that's because that. typically we're not good at that. That's not something we really prioritize right right we we went on one family vacation i remember to old mexico and uh it, i mean we all had fun but it was like well it wasn't as big a deal as, as we really <laughs> yeah. hoped it would check be. it off the list yeah, call it good yeah. but no so much of so much of our, our our life was just uh you know the enjoyment of and the enjoyment of, of our business and stuff was I mean, like I can remember telling the kids or Debbie too. I said, you know, it really ain't. This is my. I can't, this is almost my vacation. My yeah. running this business is. I well, love. After, it. I love it. I loved going out and riding these horses and 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 seeing them progress and being around a better horse next year than we had this year and and just the whole process process of of our business was enjoyable to me. I loved it. Uh, I've always, you know, I mean, a person that that makes he's living on a horse then the better horses you ride the funner it is and the, and the i mean you get you get so much uh i guess gratitude from from making them better horses and from selling them and seeing them go win at a high level yeah. and just on and on you know well there's there's no way that to describe for people that haven't done what you did all the years of beating your head against the rocks all the years of bad horses and horses you could or just the horses you could afford or fixing problems or all that comes with that for it to turn around and you have some choice or some agency and how to decide on what you wanted to ride. 
that has to feel like a vacation. To your point, that had to have felt like the vacation that you had worked so long to earn was now you got to do what you love, but you get to do it with the right tools and you get to do it with the bills paid and you get to do it with vision and planning. They say that, that planning is actually a luxury item. You know, when you go to the most poor places in the world, one of the things that they never do is plan. Mm-hmm. You know, people that are poverty stricken don't make plans. They don't think about the future. Everything is today because it's a, a daily survival. And that when someone gets to a place where they can have some vision and plan their future out a little bit, that that's, that's a sign of success. Yep. Um, so in that same vein, it's going good. You get where you got, you got the mares. What's, we're going to do it for the record for people who don't know. We're going to do this again when Miss Debbie can come in because there's some business behind everything that we're talking about that I think is super fascinating. And I would love to get into it you know, thoughts on the incentives and the programs and everything that has made owning a stud more difficult, Mm -hmm. you know, in the last, so, so for people listening, yes, we are going to get to that, but we're going to do it when we got the, the general, um, future, future. Now, when you look at life now, cause that horse for all that he did, what does it look like from here forward? Well, you know, I, me and Debbie talk about this quite a bit now at our age because we're getting up there to where we need to be slowing down and uh, we're trying to turn more of it, more of it over to the kids and, and do less ourselves, but we still want to be involved somewhat. You know, we, we don't want to just plumb quit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we'd like to slow down and not maybe have so much of the day-to-day physical part of, of, of uh, where we're at now, you know, running a business that we have now and, and you know, uh, spend some time looking around the country, travel. We never have, like you said, we never have really went on vacations. We never have really went and seen only other than when we were competing and going to different places. But there's things that, that we need to, we would both like to do that we have never done. So uh, we'd still like to keep raising horses. I mean, we don't want to just go out of the business by any means, but uh, uh, we'd like to slow down and, and not, you know, not be... Uh, I guess, of having to do as much as we, we did throughout them years of putting it together, you know. Right. How many horses are you guys selling in your production sale now? Well, we don't have a, we don't have a production sale. We just private sell anymore. But Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I've, didn't You guys had one, right? Well, didn't had, you have a... We had one for almost 20 years. Yeah. yeah. We started in 2000, was our first one, and then about our last one was like... Tw- 20, 20. Oh, I got you. I didn't realize yeah. that had shut down. What you told me one time for people that don't know, what was like the average sale price on those Colts? Golly, they varied. You know, that was the dangest sale. Uh, we started that in t- the year two thousand, and the average at that year I think was like maybe eighty five hundred or something like that for them two year olds, and it went up every year the whole time we had that sale. Uh, I think towards the last sale or two there, them Frenchman's guys two year olds averaged like fifty four thousand. Goodness. Them two-year-olds. So, you know, we had some million-dollar sales. We had, two, we always had a low number of horses. Mm-hmm. We never wanted to have a huge amount of horses. We wanted to have a, a small number of horses that were quality. Mm-hmm. And so we we'd try to sell between fifty and sixty-five head. Yeah. And we had several sales were you know million million and a half dollars worth of sales. And so we had a high average on our horses. And we we kind of I even feel like. I, I go back and look at the whole deal now. My idea was I wanted to sell two-year-olds. That was my idea. I, I felt like I could show people what them horses were. Sure. A lot of people sold colts up in that country. 
and yearlings and stuff. I wanted to show people another aspect of our mm -hmm. horses and bring out a sales ability about them and the way they moved, the way they trained, the way they looked. That two-year-old year was a, a good a good time to look at a horse. Yeah. And so we developed that. Our sale, that's what we started out as, as our base of our sale is we wanted to have a two-year-old sale. We had some colts and mares and stuff like that a little bit, but the basis of our sale was two-year-olds. And we've made that two-year-old deal become the most lucrative part of our sale to where there a lot of the people, a lot of the things that happened in the industry cop come in and copied our deal. Moved to the two-year-old, yeah. yeah. To, because at, at the time we started it, that was there was no such thing. Well, it's a, to your point, it takes a lot of the guesswork out. You really have a sense of what the product is. Yeah. Because they're riding around, they're moving. You, yep. you can guess based on the fact that they're that far along, what did it take to get them there? What did it take to train them? Well, and it helped us. It also helped us uh, understand more about our, our own mares and what they produced and whether we liked them or we didn't like them and let us make decisions of, all right, we don't like this cross that good because here we put them to the fire. We broke them. We're riding them. We don't like the way this colt thinks or moves or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so you can become, it really helps you criticize your own, I mean, be critical, yeah, be critical right. of your own horses. Yeah, self-critique for and, sure. And so like, all right, we're going to get rid of the mother of this one because we don't like this cross. That's might, such a good point. I don't, I wouldn't have thought of that, but you, you are able to self-filter your own program yep. by selling two-year-olds. By riding them, yep. yeah. Yeah. And seeing what they looked like, you know, they, maybe they didn't grow up to look like you wanted them to. So yeah. that, that was not a, a product that you wanted to continue on with. So we did a lot of that stuff that, that I think really contributed to our overall, you know, success of that sale. Well, I've always said it is on my bucket list to have to get to start a three or four year old head horse with the Bill Myers brand on him <laughs> and listen to this prices. I'm sure people are like, oh, that's why he hasn't done it yet. I'm not just being lazy. It just hasn't happened yet. But I told Billy the same thing. That is. That is like my bucket list. You know, I've made I've made head horses out of way less. I'd love to I'd love to start with one like that. So someday if somebody rides by and sees it, don't don't say I didn't warn you. It's gonna happen at some yeah, point. Yeah, good so. good deal. Love to have you ride one. Well, Bill, I appreciate you coming in. Man, this has been it's an honor. I mean, there's so much of this story and your story, and um, it's it scratches some weird curiosity itch that I just have about everybody. And I to to get that by you coming in, and spending time with us is I appreciate you doing it, and then. When when Debbie arrives, I would love I would love to sit down and go over more of the business of what you guys do, and so yeah. appreciate you sharing the story part of it. Well, I'd love to I'd love to have her be involved in our next episode because she's a huge a huge part of our, our, we, without Deb, our, this would never be what it was. She's sure. she's a just you know I can't even describe the 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 you know the big the the part of her her part of the deal that's that made us. Yeah, where we well, are, and that's where so, we are today. that's I mean, so common. It's so common that yeah. there's people standing behind the scenes that yeah. don't get the credit, and in the yeah. end, they were the ones that were pulling a lot of the strings. And so, yeah, she's she's a, a big, huge, huge part of our success. My wife. Yep, well, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming in. We'll get another one here pretty quick when she gets down here. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it.